Escape from Plan A. Okay, welcome to Escape from Plan A. Uh, this is your host, Teen, just sitting in my apartment on day X of my now uh, obligatory self-quarantine. Uh, I've got a couple friends with me here on on uh, Zencaster, which is like, I guess, free for premium is free during the length of this coronavirus thing. Chris, Chris, what's going on? Hey, what's up, Teen? Uh, and uh, our dear friend, Amanda. Amanda, how's it going? Hey, Teen. Hey, Chris. I'm also sitting in my apartment on day like 10 of self-quarantine <laughs> in New York yeah. City, which is now the epicenter of the COVID-19 outbreak. Yeah, number one, rule number, number one. one number one. I'm still, I'm still in the same pajamas I was wearing in the last uh, podcast we released. So that's the state of my being. <laughs> yeah, we're doing. Last time with the three of us potted um, about this topic, uh, we were sitting in a room together like happy people. Yeah. Um, and now we're observing social distancing. We're all been, you know, uh, a hold up and hermiting in our in our respective apartments. Yeah. And so we're doing this uh, via we web about, Should we let your listeners know about what it's like in New York City right now? Um, uh, so like everyone's quarantining. Um, schools are closed. Uh, last night, um, there was like, a, didn't Governor Cuomo uh, just mandate that like not that like all non-essential businesses had to close, right? So everything except news media, like supermarkets where you can buy food and stuff. Um, what else? Anything else? Banks probably. Maybe banks. Liquor stores are, are essential. <laughs> <laughs> so those those were on the list with its own bullet point. It was like groceries, gas, oh. banks, liquor stores. Oh, yeah. I wonder if smoke, uh, smoke shops are counted in those. I mean, there's so many where I live. I should I should maybe check it out, see mm. if they're counted oh, as essential. Oh, you mean the, like the head shop type places? Mm. Well, you know, the places that sell, you know, tobacco and pipes and, uh, you know, uh, vape vaporizers and yes. you know, things like yeah. that. Yeah, should add that uh, we're repping three, three out of the five boroughs here. Uh, I'm in oh. Queens. Amanda, you're in Brooklyn, yeah. and uh, Chris is in Manhattan. Um, and uh, over here, uh, no, no crush of like uh, you know white people at the like the, at the white people at the Trader Joe's, like just taking everything off the shelf. Uh, the, the grocery store is functioning. There's no like massive lines. Mm. Life is pretty much going on as normal, except there's more people wearing masks. Yeah, and I just got a box of masks in the mail today. Um, oh, very nice. Yeah, yeah, it feels really odd to go outside without a mask on now because so many people are wearing masks. Oh, really? I wouldn't know because I no. basically haven't left my apartment for a week. Mm, I am oh, very I responsible. go out sometimes to get groceries. Uh, but yeah, I have, uh, I, I have been maintaining social distancing six to ten feet uh, away from other people around me. 
So also, I was gonna say when we first potted Amanda, that was the first time you were on a pod. Now you're a veteran. Uh, what are all the pods? What are all the pods yeah. you did on recently? Uh, let let our listeners. You've, you've know. been really making the rounds. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So I recorded with you guys maybe a little over a month ago, and then after that, I did the Red Nation with Nick Estes. Um, Great pod. Thanks. And then um, the third one, I think that's delete your account. Uh, and then um, this Thursday, I recorded an episode uh, of Pod Damn America. That's a premium episode. Um, and then yesterday, I recorded an episode with the Antifada. And then today, I'm recording with you guys. Cool. <laughs> it's nice. I'm glad you're getting the word out. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Because and 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 I and we and I want to because like this 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 COVID nineteen pandemic is probably and I don't think I'm exaggerating here and I'm wondering if you all agree this is probably the single largest and most significant like world event in my forty one years of life. Yeah, I don't think. I think I'm ready to say that without like this is bigger to me than 9/11 in in terms of yeah I mean I mean come on like impact. yeah let's be honest I mean like 9/11 spawned a lot of uh, consequential things but it was like an attack that like when you look at how other countries uh, suffer things it was like it wasn't that you know great but this is affecting every country shutting down almost like every economy around the world it's, it's yeah we haven't seen this kind of stuff yeah yeah. Ever. Yeah. So it's a massive event. It's and the 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 narratives that are spinning out from it are going. That's like mushrooming. It's like cauliflowering into every aspect of life. I mean, every every single like YouTube channel, every single show, every single like podcast, every single thing. No matter what niche topic they're covering, like there's this one guy that I like watch on YouTube who covers like like electronics and stuff like mm -hmm. gear and they're talking about coronavirus. I was mm -hmm. listening to like Dave Chang's podcast mm -hmm. and he's talking about coronavirus and how it's like the biggest thing to hit their respective, uh, you know, industry or specialty that they've ever witnessed. Yeah. That's so a very, it's just, it's just uh, amazing. I just want to say that's a very good episode and people should listen to it. It's, it's rather short, but he does, he focuses, hyper focuses on restaurant workers, but it's pretty much applicable to every sector. And he talks about things like, the threat of only the, the biggest uh, businesses surviving this and mm. any independence, uh, any divergence from, from you know, the, the, the Walmarts or I don't know, the, what's like a big restaurant chain? Uh, like a, like, like an Applebee's. Yeah, Applebee's. <laughs> uh, and, and for like Chang, that's, that's his baby. Uh, he's, he's one of the people most responsible for the modern New York food scene. So mm -hmm. um, to hear him talk about it and seriously, uh, consider that all of that could be gone and we'll be back in the goddamn 80s or something in terms of restaurant. Obviously, when you think of food, you're like, thinking, oh, well, that's you know, food who really cares. But I mean, it does matter. And secondly, it, it's going to affect every industry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm, and so there's just so, so many things being said about it and they're all super important. And I'm trying for the purposes of our pod, where we talk a lot about Asian American political identity like that's something that i think has not really been uh i've not heard anyone talk about that mm -hmm. to the degree to which i'm interested in it and i see there's a conversation and like 
Amanda, you have been, you know, like really shouldering that conversation as sort of mm -hmm. like one of the nodes around it online mm -hmm. um, that I think really needs to be put out or, or articulated a little bit more. Yeah. So last time we talked about this many, it seems like ages ago when life was still normal. Yo, remember how we went to Jiang Diner? That, yeah, that seems yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> doesn't that seem like ancient history? Just the possibility of going. Oh that God. you can just like go to a restaurant and sit down and eat now. That yeah, seems Jesus like Christ. so, so wild. <laughs> you know how much instant mac and cheese I've eaten like in the last week? Yeah. Do you know how many ramen noodle packets <laughs> and frozen, frozen Amy's bowls I've eaten? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's crazy. I don't even, I forget how long ago that was, but that was like, um, you know, bef probably the senators had already sold off their stock at the point. Oh <laughs> my god! Knew it was coming. Yeah, yeah. Fucking sold insane. off their stocks and then bought stocks in like telecommuting technology, like Slack and Citrix. Oh my god! And it's it's just unbelievable. But we're not going to have time to you know exert justice on these people. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, yeah. So we talked about last time. Um, we talked about. You know, the rise, in, well, the racialization, I think, Amanda, you've been using mm -hmm. this phrase, is it racialized vectors of disease? Yeah, racialized vectors of disease. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's important for us to have words and phrases to coalesce around. And we, mm -hmm. so we, I think we were talking about, I don't know if we used that specific phrase back then, but we talked about that concept of calling it this sort of fight to call it the China virus or the right. Wuhan virus. Yeah. Um, and we made, I think, also the, the 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 understanding that there was going to be a rise in attacks, bias, mm -hmm. and hate crimes, and God knows what else against Asian Americans, which is actually, uh, to my uh, partial satisfaction, my very partial satisfaction, actually a story that's being picked up by the mainstream media, uh, though very poorly. Like the New Yorker had uh, an article about it the other day, yeah, and they interviewed four people, all of whom were not Asian. Oh really? Uh, I just glanced yeah. at that article. I thought they I interviewed some Asians, article. but I didn't see that article. But I think it was today in the New York Times. They ran an article about um, you know the rising number of hate crimes committed against Chinese Americans, um, and um, I don't know. Like we we talk a lot about the New York Times, right? But and we will probably talk more about it in this episode. Mm -hmm. um, so we've talked about that, and I think. What I'm left with and why I wanted to talk to both of you um, and invite um, you, Amanda, to come back on is I'm curious where you think that leaves us sort of politically motivated Asian Americans in terms of like, what is our reaction to this beyond, you know, just the simple I mean, I'm not, I don't want to downplay how important this is, but let's face it. I mean, most Asian Americans. um like we are going to get through the you know side eyes and the mm -hmm. the, the the sort of what you call interpersonal uh, racism. Yeah. Like um, we have defenses against that, or we have protections from that. I'm more curious not about how do we defend ourselves, but how do we react to this in a way that you think is you know constructive, that's appropriate, and it also doesn't make us even more sort of like exposed. Yeah. And so I've personally been um, pretty frustrated and disappointed with like the Chinese American, Asian American, uh, like diaspora's response to this, right? 
Um, Chris, in the last episode that we did, uh, you brought up a tweet where um, this Chinese Italian teenager was on a train. Oh, yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I don't know, some woman made some racist remark about coronavirus at him, said something to him. And he said that he didn't know China at all, except through Google Maps and that he had like been born and grown up in Italy. And um, I say that like, I'd say that uh, that has been like a pretty common reaction among Asian Americans, uh, Chinese Americans to distance themselves from, you know, China and people in China, and then other Asian Americans who aren't Chinese distancing themselves uh, from Chinese, you know, like you'll have Korean Americans saying like, oh, I'm not Chinese, I'm Korean. And like, we actually have like a huge problem with the CCP and da, 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 da. Um, And I just don't think that's, I mean, that's not an appropriate response, right? Like, yeah, I, I, there was a tweet I saw recently. I think it's by uh, Muqing Zhang. I don't know. She like her username is just like a period now. So yeah, I, yeah, I, don't know. I know who you're talking about. Yeah, but, that, but I think that's her. She had a tweet where she said, "Now some Asian Americans are saying that uh, being if you're not uh, Chinese American like me, but then I get mm. mistaken for Chinese. People like me are saying, oh, this is just another example of a Chinese privilege or Chinese hegemony.' Like, oh, shut the fuck yeah, up. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's not. It's not. It's not a privilege to be in the crosshairs of of the state. You know. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, does it really matter whether you're like Korean American or Chinese American? If you are the target of a hate crime, is that person who's peeing your ass going to stop for five seconds to check what kind of Asian you are, right? Yeah. But but even getting to like a better level than that, people who say, oh, we got to have like Asian American solidarity uh, Mm -hmm. and everything. Then uh, the common thing you'll hear in, on the internet with this. Okay, so I, I want to address this whole uh, name thing because I don't think it's good that Trump is calling it, you know, the, uh-huh. the Chinese virus. But in that New York Times article, it even said that George W. Bush was actually quite uh, conciliatory towards uh, Muslims after 9-11. Mm-hmm. And as we all know, uh, happily ever after, right? After he said that the president's words are commands to the population to, to act like, no, it's not. And all these attacks on Asians were happening before Trump said anything because right. uh, the country has been primed to hate China for decades, you know. Right. Uh, and especially recently, there's been a lot of events recently that have fueled that as well. The connection was obvious. Trump's not making it any better. But then this whole fight over the words is very superficial. Uh, uh-huh. And it gets to the, it avoids the bigger question. Like when people say something like, oh, I just hate the the, the Chinese government. Uh-huh. Uh but I like the people, but I'm still going to say all this shit that is obviously um, geared towards uh, carelessly allowing violence against Asians to happen. This fear yeah. of, of like rise of Asia, resentment of like the decline of America. Right. It enables all that. But for them to try to get away with, oh, I just hate the CCP. Right. And then so, Asian Americans don't know what to say to that because all we're stuck saying is, yeah, don't, don't call it the Chinese uh, virus. Wash the hate. Like, uh, come on. So this New York Times article uh, that I that I think you're talking about. Um, it came out today and it was, I didn't read it, but it, it was basically like uh, an article that uh, talked about the rising 
number of hate crimes committed against Chinese Asian Americans. And the headline is spit on, yelled at, attacked, Chinese Americans fear for their safety. And then it says, as bigots blame them for the coronavirus and President Trump labels it the Chinese virus, many Chinese Americans say they are terrified of what could come next, which I find uh, really interesting because um, you know, like as we were talking about like, a few minutes ago before we started recording, um, the escalating number of hate crimes against uh, Asian Americans is not due to President Trump calling it the Chinese virus, right? This is this is something. Not, yeah. Yeah, this is something that happened that started happening like very recently. Like there are already like a large number of hate crimes since uh, like before he even started calling it this. Um, And like for the New York Times to have the gall and say that that's the like the reason behind it. I mean, that's just that's hilarious because for the past like three months, since um, since this epidemic began, they have consistently uh, like portrayed China as like they've called it an incubator of disease. I remember, and then in another article, Author- authoritarian incubator of disease. I think I remember. Well, there were two incidents, right? Like, there were uh, two incidents. One, they tweeted out an art an article and called China um, an incubator of disease. And then in a more recent article, which came out like last week, um, they called, um, so they were talking about how um, China, like the reason that China has been donating all of these, this medical equipment and uh, masks and stuff to Italy and and other places was because they were trying to reposition themselves uh, as uh, like um, providing humanitarian assistance rather than um, what they said, an authoritarian incubator of a pandemic. And they've also, the New York Times have also run like op-eds about, you know, like, um, like the weird exotic foods that Chinese people eat um, and these really sensationalist uh, like articles about like what, like them eating snakes and bats and like bull penises. So, I mean... Yeah, they're all complicit, and you can see why. Because this is this is a bipartisan thing. Bipartisan thing. I mean, it's clear that the, the mega crowd has uh, totally adopted this blame China thing. But there are plenty of people on the liberal side who who have an interest in blaming this on China because for mm-hmm. months they were either making a joke out of it or mm-hmm. trying to use. Because you can see articles published in like January, February, where they're like, "Oh, this this might be the end of Xi," you know, that kind of yeah. that kind of like gloating. And now they look like total asses. So they got to cover for themselves too and be like, oh, yeah, oh, if we only knew earlier. It's like, you did know. And we saw what you did. And it wasn't just Wilbur Ross saying, yeah, this will bring back all the jobs to America or I, Trump saying that was a hoax. It was I, like, I think, yeah. I mean, I think that's all true uh, about, you know, what's going on. But I think, nevertheless, it's going to continue, right? Like, I'm at, I, I mean, I don't know how you all feel, but it's like I kind of see the writing on the wall in terms of like where we're heading. And 
it's going to be really difficult to push against it, specifically mm -hmm. because of this bifurcation. I mean, I do think Trump saying China virus is dangerous. Because oh, I think what it's it, dangerous too. But I'm, but I, I it definitely I, didn't. It makes. I mean, I would say that it's it to me. It's like a, the trigger of a gun that was loaded by all of the narratives that you were talking about. Yeah, yeah, it makes and the situation worse. But it didn't begin with Trump calling it the China virus. No, they lined up all the races together, and then when your president comes out and shoots that whistle out, mm -hmm. and that's not even a dog whistle. That's just a straight up whistle, yeah. right? Yeah. Then yeah. it lets everyone act upon impulses that I think have been nurtured by. Uh, the media sort of on all sides of the political spectrum, especially on the liberal side in some sense. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, we, we saw all the fear mongering over like Huawei and we were seeing, uh, you know, Asian, even Asian American scientists and, you know, tech workers getting like rounded up and either fired or uh, taken off projects just, just on the basis of their race. Yeah, it was happening. And, 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 and the thing is like, you know, this, this is, the, this is, the, I think the problem with taking Trump I think there's this liberal tendency to dismiss Trump as being so incompetent that he doesn't even have a worldview. And so he's just like he could just say stuff. And it's like we don't we literally don't listen to what he's saying. It's not taken seriously. But he came into office more than clear. And and I've tweeted this a number of times like this, this speech that Mike Pence gave uh, that basically d announced a Cold War, and no one really believed this, but it's like literally stated that they think China has, you know, infiltrated the U.S. at all levels. Yeah. They've got spies here. They're actively trying to undermine the U.S. government, etc. It's literally stated, but no one really believes it because they don't think Trump is serious. But I think all of this to me is, I mean, we're in it, you know, like we're 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 living it, and I think it's. I feel the urge to sort of like fight against it and whatever, but sometimes I'm like, look, it's just going to happen. And it does help me put it in, in like, you know, you, you both of you have mentioned 9-11 and I think it is kind of worth or useful in my eyes to analogize the different political motivations that are going on, mm -hmm. uh, analogize it to what happened after 9-11. Cause if you remember, like Chris, you said Bush was very conciliatory towards you know, American Muslim Americans, and we kept drawing this distinction between this is not Islam. Uh, you know, Islam is moderate. I Islam is, is, is um, a religion of is, peace. Is, we, we heard that phrase. It's a religion of peace. Like yeah, and all of this stuff is this sort of extremist stuff. And it, it, it was nice rhetoric, but if you looked at it, it pretty much divided it along a sort of like, you know, like battlefield lines. Like it was all about geopolitics. It had nothing to do with like what we really thought about, mm -hmm. um, you know, different different versions or, or religiosities related to Islam. Here, yeah, because like, like Saddam wasn't even that religious, right? No, no, the Ba'athist party was a complete like you know, non-theocratic sort of modern nation, nationalist state, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and the, you know, I think what's going on now, and you've both have mentioned this concept of I hate, you know, I can hate the government, but love mm -hmm. the people. Mm -hmm. uh, it's to me, that's the analogy is the CCP here is sort of being in a, it, I mean, it's not a perfect analogy because the CCP is nothing like, you know, Al Qaeda. But yeah. I think they're using that same idea, which is that there's this sort of like demonic cancer plaguing the Chinese people which is the communist party yeah. and we need to like, you know, irradiate and destroy that while like, you know, saving the parts, you know, the good cells. 
So, you know, yeah. So that's a very common refrain among liberals. And I mean, this is one of my frustrations with the way that um, like there, there are like very few satisfying responses to me, uh, like in terms of this situation and well-meaning liberals will sort of try and push back on this like very explicit Trumpian racism by saying something like, well, um, we're criticizing the Chinese government, but the Chinese people, you know, they we loved the Chinese people. We're just criticizing the government. And Teen, you made a really good point on Twitter um, a few days ago. Um, it was a tweet about how, you know, like, like for the most part, Chinese people are considered like brainwashed robots, right? The only way that you are humanized in the eyes of like Westerners is if you criticize the Chinese government, you know, like, um, like any artist or any author that like becomes famous in the U S any like Chinese author or like artist um, is through criticizing the government. Right. Um, yeah. You're irrelevant. Like if you don't, if you're not speaking up against the lies of the communists or whatever, mm-hmm. you either don't exist and we don't care about you. So yeah. whatever, just go off or you are an example of someone who's been brainwashed, yeah. not because you're out touting and like being an active CCC CCP propagandist, but merely because that's not what you're talking about. Yeah. It's like you can only exist as a full person if you can be used by the U.S. government to, you know, like uh, in support of its own foreign policy. Also, I just, I just want to say there's something so uh, like patronizing about, oh, we love the people. We just don't like the government. But then they never say what kind of government they want. And it, it implies that they just want to decapitate the, the government and then the people will be there to, to welcome them and they can install whatever government yeah. they want. Yeah. It's white saviorism. I mean, like there's – OK, so I'm looking at a tweet now by someone named Ursula Gautier. I think she works for AFP. And she tweeted like this is around the time when those first batch of Wall Street journalists, Wall Street Journal uh, journalists were uh, kicked out of the country, kicked out of China. The fight we foreign journalists have with the Chinese state, with the Chinese state party is for the sake, first and foremost, of the Chinese people's safety and freedom and Mm. ultimately of everyone's safety and freedom. You will thank us someday. Wow. That is fucking unbelievable levels of white i just retweeted it as this is what i mean this is white saviorism distilled to the point of like i don't even think she recognizes what she's saying here mm-hmm. and also what is it um th- uh, those people might say something like, oh, we, we want to see a more like democratic government but we've seen the history of how much america respects democracies if it doesn't uh, align with their interests so that doesn't seem like much anyway and even with like like a recent uh really weird uh tweet thread that shadi hamid made where he praised all these uh he called them our democracies and he named uh, france spain and mm-hmm. um italy but he did not name korea and taiwan so you can just see what what they mean by by democracy and he said oh this is not about ethnicity but when you talk about uh you know resilient democracies in the face of crisis and you leave out the two democracies that actually have done the best uh and you exclude them in favor of the european ones that's some that's some pretty uh, revealing shit right there 
Yeah, I mean, I, I responded to him on Twitter, uh, and I said that, you know, I this isn't an ideological war. This is a war against the virus. And the only people, the only place that is waging ideological war, as far as I can tell, is America, because I don't think that China, as far as I can tell, has been launching like wave after wave of stories about how American democracy is a failure. Yeah, it's always been the other way. It's always America writing stories about how you know this the Chinese communism is bound to fail, and like. Maybe there's a like maybe there's some domain where that should be discussed, but that was the dominant narrative throughout January and February and even into March. Mm-hmm. And all the while, now we're hearing that uh, there was. Did you read the story about like Dr. Helen Chu over in like Seattle? Like they were seeing cases of COVID nineteen pop up, and like nobody gave a shit. Nobody was testing. Uh, the media was not doing its job. We had a month or nearly two months of advanced warning of what was going to happen. There was another story today uh, by Reuters about how the U.S. pulled our CDC representative in China uh, in July mm-hmm. as part of the trade war. And this, the, uh, another Chinese-American woman who had fulfilled that role before had said, if, uh, if someone was in that role during that time, we would have had like such a clear eye into what was going on. But we got rid of that person. Mm-hmm. Uh, so not only is this like ideological battle that's being waged about like whether communism is better than capitalism or whatever, which is a fucked up framing anyway. Um, it, it, it squeezed out like months of opportunity for them to actually get the story right and get us prepared. Like they yeah. didn't put any pressure on on Trump. The media, you know, Trump responds to the media and the media totally failed because they didn't put any pressure on him to get ready. Yeah. Uh, so one framing that I found really weird and interesting was, you know, the New York Times just like consistently blaming China. Um, and, you know, they you know, that story about like the eight Wuhan doctors who were briefly detained. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. They, they took this one anecdote of like these local officials uh, like fucking up and they uh, completely ran with it. Like every article about China's response, this was the story that, you know, they always talked about. And they kind of pointed toward this as um, uh, a lack of transparency that is inherent within like Chinese authoritarian the chinese authoritarian system itself um and they started framing it as uh you know authoritarianism versus democracy so not only would you have uh like these new york times articles um blaming china for the outbreak because uh of like the totalitarian ccp or whatever but you would also have articles in like the Atlantic uh, that argued why democracies were better at controlling outbreaks. And this was before um, this, these sorts of articles were published when the crisis was still pretty much contained in China. Um, Like late February, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, uh, it came to the States and just caught us completely flat-footed. Um, 
And, you know, like clearly we were totally unprepared. Uh, we didn't have enough tests. Uh, hospitals are being overwhelmed right now. And now um, I'm seeing them like pivot toward South Korea as a way of being like, no, see, like democracies really are better at solving these outbreaks because look at South Korea, they're handling it like really well. So isn't that such a weirdly defensive thing to say? Like as, as like this narrative gets painted into a corner, it's like, they like they still have to be super so weirdly defensive about democracy. Mm-hmm. How do we know that democracy is even like the relevant axis on which to analyze South Korean response here versus American? Because the only difference between South Korea and the U.S. in terms of like are we democracies or not? The only difference, like at that point, is you have to look at cultural differences or something like. You know what I mean? Like, well, maybe so, the, like why can't they ask the question, how come not, Asian countries have been better at this than well, European? I'm not saying that that's the right question, but I'm saying they don't want to ask that question. They uh, want to ask the question. They want to keep keep it on this concept of democracy versus authoritarianism. Yeah. It's really weird. I mean, there are also a couple of big differences, too. Like, Korea has very good uh, health care, which you could say also yeah. Europe has. But Korea also has experience. Like, it had the whole MERS crisis, like, about five years ago. And Korea did not handle that well. So there was a lot of reforms going on there. And I think Asia has had more experience dealing with things like SARS and bird flu, which, which was, uh, you know, recent as well. And maybe there was there's a higher level of coordination among of, among the countries there that we don't like to talk about. We don't yeah. like to talk about the degree to which China and South Korea as neighbors uh, probably coordinate on this a hell of a lot better than the U.S. did with China. Yeah. And I mean, also, they just like they had they actually had test kits. Right. And they were like actually testing people like the reason that they were able to control it so well was because they uh, just implemented this like really aggressive program of testing a ton of people and then aggressively surveilling like those who had tested positive. Like they had like drive throughs where you could get tested without like getting out of your car here in the States, we have like no tests, you know? Um, and I'm, I suspect that the numbers of confirmed cases are like artificially low just because it's so difficult to get access to a test. Like you can't find something if you don't look for it. Right. Yeah. Also, nobody has talked about how Vietnam has done a very good job of uh, keeping it yeah, down. Is that because, yeah, <laughs> So it's, that's what it is. It's because they're communists. They don't yeah. want to talk like about every, it. Enough. Every everyone's just in like cover your ass mode. You know that that's that's the only thing these people are interested in. Just like how do we control the narrative? How do we cover up for the fact that uh, you know for months we knew about it and we didn't do anything? And and I just want to say like even if China had covered it up, uh, so what would that even have done? Like Trump calls it a hoax like a month earlier. Like nobody in America would have had the guts to like shut down cities and the economy until things really went badly because that's how it is. And we're in an election year. So I don't even know what difference it makes, really. Well, I think that, I mean, just look at the scale of this event. It mm. like the the does the need to blame something or someone for, for this is, I think, the big, the big, it will be the big political question probably of our lives. Is my right. Somebody, somebody has to get blamed for something. Nine eleven was blamed on like kind of like what we call like Muslim-looking people. Whether that's like 
Arab, mm-hmm. South Asians, maybe even like Southeast Asians. Yeah, but, there, but 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 I think that but there is a countervailing narrative to that, Chris, which is I think over time, and it took a long, painful twenty years for us to finally reckon with the fact that maybe we're imperialists. You know, it took a long time and uh, for that narrative to come out that. You know, maybe this wasn't some grand battle between democracy and Islam and theocracy. Maybe it was about the oil. Mm. You know, maybe it was about uh, our military adventurism. Yeah. And I think with respect to the war and you look at, you know, the the Afghanistan papers being published when it's way too fucking late. But good. OK, fine. They did that. Maybe we're finally coming around to it to, uh, to, uh, to terms with the real causes of what was going on. And I just don't think I want to spend 20 years waiting for that story to come out because I think it's more critical that that story comes out now, which is this isn't about, you know, authoritarianism versus democracy. This isn't about China versus the U.S. or freedom of. No, I think this is about the failures of the U.S. healthcare system, the failures of the way like we cannot we can't deal with these things. This is going to happen again. And the problem is really how we're not set up to deal with it. You know, yeah. it doesn't really matter where it came from. Yeah, definitely there is going to be someone to blame. Like in 2008, there was, at least there was like public anger. If, uh, if not, cause it wasn't at the government level, but there was public anger at, at Wall Street. And we saw the repercussions of that. Uh, like, you know, Trump was a result of that. You could also say Hillary's loss was a re- result of that. Uh, so now it's like, oh, who do we blame? And I'm, I'm going to guess that the Wall Street people are not going to want to be blamed, especially as they're going to snap up uh, on this like blowout, once in a lifetime blowout sale that they're going to have. So, like, all fingers are going to have motivation to, to point at uh, at the chinks, you know, the mm-hmm. easy enemy that is not protected by any political ideology. And at the very least, Asian Americans have to get aware of that and, and stop, like, quibbling over word games and acting like we're, we're in some, like, safe space and, and debating over what's a trigger word or not. That's not really the issue here. You know, that the issue is this whole, like, blame thing that is... But, but- yeah, but that's why I'm so happy. In a way, it happened at a good time because I think it happened right at the moment where America was having a serious, like this this election, uh, this Democratic uh, campaign season has all been about domestic issues. It's all been about revisiting and questioning our relationship with capitalism, our relationship with uh, you know the the industrialization and the privatization of all social services, uh, and we like we've really been digging deep into the questions of domestic policy, and I think that there is this this pandemic has in my mind hopefully more to to do, and it will add more to that domestic discussion rather than trying to find some foreign you know, some foreign entity to blame. That's what I hope, that the topic turns more towards, are we going to be prepared for this under uh, our system of private insurance? Do we need better uh, safety nets for workers? Uh, you know, how do we protect people when we're looking at 25, 30% unemployment? Mm-hmm. Um, those are the things that I think if we focus on those things, that we will hopefully avoid the worst of the xenophobia and the slide towards fascism, which is what, what this is like. It's what Bannon wants. It is what 
Trump wants. It is what Pence wants. They could not have been more clear about it. The only difference was we didn't believe them. We just didn't take them seriously at their word. Yeah, and I, I think that's what we have to prepare for because it's going to – I think those questions are going to be tested. Like what's this really going to be about? Because right now it, it, it's more of like – like honestly, for most people, right now it's more of an incon- extreme inconvenience, right? We're not seeing hospitals uh, – like, you know, there's a danger now that if you have a minor injury at home, you can't even go to the hospital. So like a small infection, uh, you know, from a cut while you're cooking could turn into, I don't know, gangrene. We're not like at that stage yet. But once we get there, that that will happen. And we got to be prepared for that, because right now it's, it seems a little bit more theoretical. Like, oh, who should we blame? You know, why, why am I stuck in my apartment for a week? That, that kind of thing. But when, when the real hurt uh, comes, because it hasn't come yet, obviously. That's that's when we'll know like which direction real, we're going to go. Yeah, I and mean, I think the real hurt is not just COVID. It's going to be the the, the economic collapse. Yeah, yeah. Mo- mo- most people most people are just going to have like a bad cough. You know, that's the reality. But yeah, that the real yeah. the real disease is going to be the economic fallout. Yeah, and then they're setting it up right now to blame China and Chinese Americans for this economic fallout. And when I uh, like. You know, a few days ago when I like started seeing the numbers of like unemployment, I got really, really scared um, because I know that the number of hate crimes like there's a new hate crime against an Asian American. I read about a new one every day. Right. Um, And I know that like the economy is just going to sink and they're going to blame us for it. Right. Um, you know, uh, didn't the White House release uh, a cable, um, a cable uh, a few days ago? Uh, it was launching like a communications plan across like these federal agencies, and it focused on accusing Beijing of orchestrating a cover up and creating this global pandemic. Um. So is that the Daily Beast article? Yeah, that's the Daily yeah. Beast article. Yeah. And like since uh since this cable has come out, I've seen uh like articles in the Washington Post that um you know like has defended uh, uh Trump's use of the phrase China virus. Um and I don't know, they're just like they're just setting this up to blame China and Chinese people for this. And I'm really anxious about what's coming next. I, so I have a question. Okay. So I think there, I think of it like there's a short game and there's a long game for us. And I think for Asian Americans, absolutely. In my opinion, the short game is protect yourself. Like I go out these days with like, I carry a, a blunt weapon, like a, like a small rolling pin. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm on the lookout. My head's on a swivel. Uh, I'm, I'm like, I think the short game is like, we got to really watch out after each other. Yeah. And yeah. so that's the short game. But long game, where do you think this is going, Amanda? Because on the one hand, it's like, if everyone just decides collectively, like this is all China's fault, what are we going to do about that? Like, where does that lead us if we follow it to its logical conclusion versus the other, which is like, if we turn, if we continue to allow COVID-19 to be, informing the you know the the issues that i think were front and center in the democratic um campaign that i feel like that would lead us very quick it would be like an absolute accelerant to get us faster to things like medicare for all and universal socialized medicine uh because 
you know, there is like a pathway for that to develop in a constructive way. Yeah. That's what I see. But if it goes the other way, everyone's would blame Chinese. Where does that end up? Right, you know I mean? right. And I feel like we're kind of at this crossroads where we can go this one way or the other. And I'm I'm very nervous about which way that we like collectively decide to go. I am too, because I see it basically ending up in war. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's going to be war with China directly, but like people forget, like we have such short memories, but like they're itching for war. They opened up 2020, like the New Year's, with a literal act of war against Iran. And I don't realize, like, they're so craven when it comes to this stuff. Mm -hmm. It's unfucking believable like, what this administration is capable of. Like, I know there's, like, a lot of talk about how, like, oh, all of these, you know, both the Dems and the Republicans are shit, and which I agree with at a certain level, particularly when it comes to domestic stuff. But when it comes to, like, starting wars, holy shit, like, Trump is fucking frightening. I mean, I'm not saying like the Dems are much better in terms of like, you know, their their escalation and provocation and stuff. But Trump takes it to a whole nother level, like just straight up assassinating people looking yeah. for a reason to start a fucking war. I'm terrified of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I so think our I think our move is yeah. to keep pressing it and keeping it uh, keeping the focus on the U.S. government, because and I, and I think you'll start seeing this with, with certain uh Asian interest groups who have their own agenda for, you know, like criticizing the Chinese government. And, you know, I'm sure they have legit uh, concerns that are completely out of my like area expertise. So I'm not going to like criticize them for that, but it's like, we live in the U S our, our home is here. Um, our, our duty is to pretty much watch this government, not one like very far away. And at the, and even if you do have gripes with, with the, you know, CCP, are you going to entrust a fucking uh, Trump and and uh, Marco Rubio and and uh, what's his name Mike Pompeo to carry out the best interests of, of yeah. like Asia? Are you fucking stupid? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess that's that, that's where I'm at, Chris. Is like I there's just a lot. I mean, I I think about what happened after 9/11, and I think about all the rather upsetting and unfair and bullshit narratives that emerged around Muslim Americans. And I just, I feel like there is an inevitability, a degree. It's, I don't think it's going to be as bad personally. I don't know, but I think there's a degree of inevitability to it. And so I think that an important question for Asian Americans going forward is how do you resist against this if there is an inevitability to what is going to be said about us or what we are going to be expected to say about ourselves? I, the, the more I think about it, the more I think, you know, all that can be done is, and the most important thing, in my opinion, is to really, like, push for domestic reforms. Like, so, like really push harder to the left, really back moderate socialist reforms, which is all anyone has proposed. And that that is going to be a very important way to shift the conversation away from a very terrible American fascist tendency to look for a foreign enemy and that's going to be us. So I think that's, for me, that's the only way that I found is a plausible and constructive way to actually resist what's going on. And, uh, and this whole idea of like waging a war on, on a virus is so, it's almost comical. There's this, uh, there's this like Simpsons episode where Homer gets trapped in the third dimension and professor Frank is trying to explain to them what, what's happening and why Homer's in danger. And Wiggum's like, 
like, you know, quit your talking. We need action. And he, he takes his gun and starts shooting the portal. And he's like, take that, you lousy dimension. And I just keep thinking of that when you hear people trying to treat this as, because they, they want a classic war, right? They, they've watched like too many war movies. They listen to their like grandpas tell too many stories. So they want the traditional war, but it's like, at first it was, oh, yeah, yeah. it was like Islamic yeah. extremism. Like that's not even a, like a, like a state enemy, you know, that, that confused the hell out of them, which is why they lost every like war on terror thing they ever did. And now it's like, it's like, you know, even if you blame the government, it's kind of like, they, they kind of messed up. You're going to wage a war on like, incompetence i I saw chris (laughs) i saw the most ridiculous expression of this the other day when trump held his like god-awful presser and he had um peter navarro who is like this really sinophobic he's like leads the trade war discussions oh yeah the trade war stuff and he comes out peter navarro who's like commerce or something like that he comes out and he's like just you know he's just beating his chest about how this is the greatest industrial mobilization of the U- the U.S. government has ever launched since World War II. We are responding to this like our forefathers responded to <laughs> And he was like, you know, what we have done. And he was like, we have convinced Perno Ricard, which no one's ever heard of. They're a beverage company. Uh, they're like, we have convinced Perno Ricard to shift production away from beverages towards hand sanitizers. Don't they make Cristal? Um, uh, yeah, some shit like that. It's like, it's like um, exactly what you're saying. They're like trying to invoke this like greatest generation bravado. Uh, but instead of like shifting military production into like weapons and planes and tanks and stuff, he's like, yeah, they're, they're, they're going to, they're going to like cut down like uh, beverages and up the hand sanitizers. <laughs> like we got to make more dial. Like, yeah. It's like, it's like they just watched like too much uh, saving private Ryan and, and 30 dozen. It's like, yeah, they're just, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Amanda, what do you what do you what do you what are you thinking in terms of um I mean, do you feel like there's a there's a sort of inevitability to it? Like it's just like the wave of it, like the scale of this event, like there like there's going to be a bill to pay and it it, it just you know, yeah. That's the only issue I can think of right now that matters is is you know, long term is are we going to use this to fix ourselves or are we going to use this to blame Chinese? And I don't see any other issue of any importance. So like, I don't even like when I see people pushing back against China virus, like I don't give a shit. It doesn't really matter to me. Yeah. Yeah. But I, yeah. um, I don't, I don't know. I think as a coping mechanism, this is all really hard for me to think about, to be honest. And as a coping mechanism, I try to like limit how much I think about it um, because I know that it's, it could get very bad very quickly. Um, I think, I think the crucial message is like, what's going to make your life better, right? It, having better health care, having more of a social safety net, or some crazy ass uh, adventurism against an enemy, which will surely, uh, that we surely cannot beat, you know? I mean, no, yeah. we're not saying like that China can beat the US, but there is no way you're gonna beat uh, a nation of like almost 2 billion people with a nuclear, I mean, just like, it's crazy. You couldn't even uh, win in Iraq, you know? So it's like, right. m- maybe people need to get it. I, I think, Teen, you said this, Best case scenario, people just kind of need to get this out of their system because they're they're just terrified right now. But you know, when when they are hopefully thinking more rationally, it's like 
what is going to improve my life? Uh, and I think that's that's the message. Yeah, I mean, my, my yeah, short game. I mean, absolutely. I, that's why I've been tweeting pictures of Asian people with guns. Like, I just want to, like, people should give off the signal that we're going to defend ourselves. That's, like, the thing that I kind of want to see uh, is a story where someone gets fucking, you know, like, pays the price for doing this. You know what I mean? Short game, like, people got to protect themselves. But I do, I do, I guess I do have faith in the, ver- like, the progressive wing calling out any future attempts to really like operationalize and uh this this xenophobia like that that will be seen as a cover and a distraction for what really needs to be done you have faith that, in the progressive wing doing that i think so because i think mm-hmm. that they really do want they really want to get uh they really want to get some social safety nets put in place and mm-hmm. i do think that the, that the xenophobia is being used, I do because I think the criticism is correct. Is why I have faith in it. Is that I do think that they are fanning the flames of xenophobia in order to protect elite interests. Mm-hmm. Right. So yes, yeah, so you, you know you got to make it I'm, a you got to make it a binary choice, right? You could, you can't have both. You got to choose right. one or the other. Which uh, is yeah, and that's then right, you appeal exactly right. you basically appeal to people's selfish interests. Like what's gonna what's gonna make your life better? Uh, you know, better uh, social safety net, better healthcare, or some like some pointless uh, eagle boost by uh, saying, yeah, yeah, America number one. We're gonna go back to our like Nazi conquering ways, and then probably like lose everything in the process. Yeah, which is why I almost think that a period of of Trump doing this might even be good because it's like training the progressives to see that attempts to blame China and attempts to racialize this is a cover up for the complete failure of his administration to put in place any sort of like, not just like in a response to COVID, but any sort of social safety net. And that's what progressives care most about. Like you said, self-interest. They want to make sure that they're taken care of. Yeah. And th- the more they're getting trained on this idea that blaming China is a way to evade responsibility, I think the better. I think that's the idea that I would like to really see take hold for my self-interest as an Asian American. And also- Please recognize that this is bullshit and it's a cover-up. Also, I I will put this out there. I think there's actually one good thing to come out of China, uh, not China, Trump taking such an obvious stance on this China thing is that it's now associated with such like a loathsome regime that there is, it, it makes it harder for for this to be respectable uh, for for certain people, and it, yeah, it, it puts a Trump's face. He's branded it his own strategy. You see all the mega people adopting it, so it's going to become harder to kind of uh, if you're more in the in the squishy middle, trying you maybe like a liberal hawk type. It's going to be a little harder for you to to paint that as a respectable stance to have. Yeah, and 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 on the other, and then and then on the other side of it, you know, where you have these loathsome pieces being put out in the Atlantic and New York Times, et cetera, about how 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 awful Chinese authoritarianism is and whatever. I mean, I think there's also progressive pushback on that. I don't know how fringe it is, but I see it online a lot, and that just may be a function of who I follow. Mm-hmm. But I think that there is a clear amount of loathing against the mainstream liberal media about what they did to Bernie Sanders Mm -hmm. and that all this conversation that they're having now, they're being seen primarily by the progressive wing as being defenders of capitalism. If you know, to, to, you know, in a vague sense. 
and that the more they start tweeting about Chinese authoritarianism, I think that it's possible that the progressives will catch up with that grift as well. So I've got to throw my hat into the ring with someone here. I'm going with the progressives. That's how I feel. And also, I'm just naturally like, you know, like I, I think they're right on a lot of issues, just period. So it's for me, it's like a nice alignment of, of things here. Like I, I'm just throwing in with them. Yeah, I, I think a key for Asian Americans is that you don't have to see you don't have to see this as extreme as either you got to be on board uh, with, with like that Trump thing or or you know also let's face it the, the atlantic side of things they're almost like united in this uh or you got to be some like defender uh like blood defender of the ccp it's like the ccp irrelevant to us right now you know as, as americans irrelevant we we gotta we gotta focus on here um so i think that's a trap a lot of asian americans feel because like we feel like we got we were burdened with with having to answer for everything china does like who cares that's irrelevant don't think about it that's what i would say yeah, I agree with that, Chris. I'm trying to avoid getting caught up in a in the blame game that's going online now about where this thing originated from, uh, because I know that there are people in China who are sort of saying, look, the evidence isn't fully in yet. And this idea that it came from a wet market isn't totally like we don't know the truth yet. And then there's others that are going so far as to say that they think they came from the US. And I'm trying not to get like, I just don't want to care about it. You know what I mean? Like, I think that the core to the because it's such a complicated discussion and it's going into a million different directions at once. But for me, like trying to boil it down and essentialize it into a core message that can be repeated and repeated often is basically that this whole discussion about whose fault it is and particularly whether China is at fault is a distraction. It is an intentional distraction away from the real issues that, you know, progressives and Bernie supporters, et cetera, have been trying to raise. Yeah. And the real issue is... I think that's an easy to grasp kind of message that you can just repeat. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Um. <laughs> it's like we're all spent. Do I agree with this? Or? Yeah. Um, I think we all like said everything we wanted to say. It was like we were like all taking a breath. Like, okay, we like sprinted for like an hour. <laughs> Like, okay, let's calm down. Yeah, I guess I'm, I guess I don't really, I don't have. Yeah, give me the pessimistic view here. Yeah, I, I do have a very pessimistic view and I don't, but the problem is, is I don't really have a solution. That's the issue. I'm not sure that I am like 100% behind throwing uh, like my hat into the ring with the progressives. Um, even though like I do, you know, I do have a soft spot in my heart for Bernie Sanders. Um, but, um, I would say that the majority of, uh, like democratic socialists, um, they're like more and progressives, they're more concerned with domestic issues and, um, like even on the issue of China, they tend to fall in line with the more like liberal view, which is that, you know, the, CC, the Ch Chinese government is like authoritarian or whatever. Um, so I guess my problem is there are like, the responses to this have been, so what this has made me realize is that the race is that racism against Chinese Americans and Asian Americans is so multifaceted and 
uh, can take so many different forms that I'm having trouble forming a coherent response to it. And I'm also having trouble like trying to figure out who it is that we push back on. That That's a confusion that I share. And so I think, yeah, the, the, what you just said there about how multifaceted it is, is why it seems so difficult to yeah. respond. It's like, yeah. I got to respond against this mentality and that mentality. I have and to this respond, mentality. yeah, against Trump. I have to respond against these like patronizing liberals. I have to respond against uh, like the Washington Post and the New York Times. Yeah. Um, and the Asian American, the Chinese American community, like their response hasn't been the majority of Asian Americans uh, like identify more as American than Asian or Chinese. Um, and they will often fall in line with U.S. foreign policy. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm just at, I, I am like very pessimistic about, or I, I'm totally at a loss at how to respond in the first place. I, th I think I, we just got to like put. Uh, oh, go ahead, Chris. I was just going to say, I, I think we just got to put out the signal, see who see who comes, see who we click with. Because I, I think there's going to be a lot of realignments coming. And we just got to, first of all, we just got to know like who's out there, you know, who, who think like us. Because they, they are out there, but uh, they don't fit into the traditional uh, alignments. So I, I think I, I, the first step is just figure out like what we think and who else thinks like us. And then, and then we'll worry about the next steps. But I think trying to I think that's right. I think, yeah, I do think it's important. Uh, and Amanda, I think what you're doing is important because I think it's important to, as Chris said, find out who's out there, like nucleate at least some set of people mm -hmm. that at least see things the same way. Like they're seeing what you're seeing. Like you can't, you know, like without corroboration by like more people, it just sounds like it just feels crazy, you know? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, but I think it is important also to note what's at stake, because I think once we get a view of what's truly at stake, then we can start to decide what we think is an acceptable outcome here. Because for me, what's at stake is pretty bad, which is like we're heading towards like, you know, there was a report already that uh, Barr wants to what has asked Congress to suspend habeas corpus and due process. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Why? Yeah, like, what? Why would you want to do that during a pandemic? Like, that's a strange request. Like, that, you know what I mean? Like, I'm starting to see this stuff, and as an Asian American, I'm like, this is part of your fucking Cold War project. Like, I've seen too much. Like, people, I'll put it. I, I, I want to put a link into the show notes to this frontline. Uh, this is like mainstream media. It's frontline PBS talk interviewing Bannon about the the war that they that he wants to wage with China, that he wants regime change, all this stuff, and it's mm -hmm. like this shit's scary. Yeah, like. The stuff like what's at stake to me, like if people and it's so it's so fucked up because I'm like, if they take power, I'm like, oh, they have taken power. Uh, <laughs> if the people who have taken power are allowed to do what they have been doing since day one, which is to push for a war with China, not, you know, of whatever sort. I don't even know what the fuck that's supposed to look like, but I don't want to know uh, if if that's what's at stake, then my personal feelings about how they write about Asian Americans in particular, you know, you know, news stories or whatever. It's kind of like 
it's takes on like I'm more interested now in whether we're going to be heading towards war than whether, you know, is it proper to call it Wuhan virus, which is what all yeah, the people yeah, are talking yeah, about yeah. right now. You know, it's like, yeah. okay, fine. You can call it whatever. But like, I, my worry is, are we going to war? Um, That's my fear. I think that helps me sort of say like, okay, well then, you know what? I've changed my view. I'm actually, I'll vote blue no matter who. That's how I like, cause I so need Trump out now seeing what I'm seeing that I, I think I would actually even vote for Bloomberg at this point. If that were the, I mean, it's not, I don't have to fucking deal with that, but <laughs> I have become a lot more vote blue, no matter who than than I was before because of this. Can I, uh, maybe this is a good time to say just what a fucking lost opportunity it is that we have goddamn Joe Biden as the nominee. This would be like prime opportunity for, for any you know Democrat who could actually, uh, you know, stand on their on their feet for more than more than like three hours or something to to it, make a case, but it's totally gone. Uh, it, ain't, it ain't over yet. Did we get proof of life, Chris? I don't think we've gotten. Proof. <laughs> we don't have he proof was, of I think he was recently in some uh, webcast with a fake living room. Uh, that was yeah, a green was, screen, like in front of a green screen. Yeah, because that last <laughs> video was terrible. It had deep fake elements to it. It was a little. It was a little funky. It was a little yeah. funky. The last um, video. Uh, that, the last video was really weird. He would like wander off screen. Yeah, and, I saw that. Oh, yeah, what the fuck was and that? Then, like, he would try talking. to hide it by like, he would wander off screen and then they'd try to hide it by like projecting the, the, logo, the logo or the, yeah. <laughs> and it, it, it just looked like, you, you know, when a live event, something horrible happens and they suddenly cut to like commercial abruptly. That's what it felt right, like. Which I guess it, it, like. Yeah. it was kind of. And he had that phone he was holding horizontally or like flat this is another reason why i'm sort of pessimistic about the situation is that um you know like we have an opportunity to like we had an opportunity to elect bernie sanders but um you know like the democrats like did like just wouldn't allow that to happen um so I don't know, like how now it looks like Biden is on his way to the nomination. So all these things that you're talking about, these like social, these welfare programs, these social programs, Medicare for all, how, how is that going to happen at this point? I mean, it likes, at least the, there could be like promises of it. I mean, my, my, my theory is that they're going to swap Biden out at the convention uh, and then at that point, I, I think they're going to hope the country is so just like traumatized by COVID-19 that even if they just like swap in a Cuomo, even uh, people will just be grateful because they finally have a, an actual presence on the Democratic ticket. And mm-hmm. like, I honestly can't see how they think Biden can debate Trump three times uh, in, in the fall if he can't even do a, like a, a real press conference right now. I mean, that's the exciting part of this for me is the it's just we're in the unknown. Like, we don't have any idea what 25 or 30 percent unemployment actually feels like. You know, like, we don't know what an economic depression. Like, 2008 was not an economic depression, and we bounced back pretty quick. Like, I, I just feel like we're entering into territory that is just unknown, and so I have no idea what's going to happen. And it seems like it's a good time for people to be open-minded, I guess is is how I feel is like because you just don't know what the fuck is going to happen tomorrow, oh. much less 
you know, six months from now. You know what I mean? Um, it's just, it's just like we're we're all we're, we just went off a cliff. Um, and I don't know if that necessarily means it's going to end up terrible. Because like they're t- think about what they're talking about. Like they're talking about basically like implement like literally thinking about implementing elements of UBI and Medicare for all as an emergency measure, like now, like if they were to do that and their feet are so held to the fire right now that they may have to do that just to prevent like total, like social collapse that like once that happens and they turn the spigot on for stuff like that, there may not be turning it off after that point. Yeah. Well, that's their fear, right? Once, once you give people, I don't know, work from home options or, you know, UBI or, you know, like severe rent control. People are, are going to know what it's like. They're going to know it's possible and they're not going to want to give it back. Yeah. Isn't that great? <laughs> yeah, that, that's good. Yeah. You know, so I, I mean, I think that there is like hope in a lot of hope here because you're I can't right, see you're that, right. I'm just you being... know, more. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, no, no, no. I'm just being, I've just been in a very, in a very pessimistic mood the past few days. But Amanda, maybe, right. maybe maybe you need to like delete Twitter for a week or something. <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> you you know are you like naturally optimistic? Because I'm just like a natural I'm just like a natural grump and whatever. And when terrible shit happens, that's like when I come alive. You know what I mean? I <laughs> like, think I live for it. Like I, you know, I think this is, this it's, is when I thrive. it's a combination of. I don't know if I'm naturally pessimistic. It has something to do with the quarantine. I have not seen that many people since the quarantine. I've not talked to many people. And I I don't know. Like this is the this is the kind this is the time when like we should be organizing, but obviously we can't all like we can't be in a room together. So that can't happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, anything else uh, we should discuss? Um, oh, okay. No, sorry. I thought everyone cut out there for a sec. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> okay, so we're all here. Yeah. Uh, no, we're at an hour nine. I mean, I, 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 I gather we're just trying to make a case for whether there's hope or not here. And I. Well, I think we should probably like make the case for hope, even if we don't personally <laughs> yes. feel there's a case for yeah. hope. Um, yeah. No, what I find hopeful is I think I think Asian Americans are finally getting some fighting spirit just because it's so undeniable oh, what's happening. Right. Totally. And yeah. my attitude was always like, like you don't even have to win; you just have to have the will to fight. Uh, and I don't even want to focus on you know what what's the strategy for winning. I just, I just like that people are fighting and and at least getting that sense of we have to come together. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. Like, like as I said, like like a month ago, we were we we're eating. Uh, a dinner or or lunch together and then we had that uh, episode where we were criticizing but i it was it was more of it was more like you know we're kind of like sniping at them we we weren't at the level of emergence we are now we didn't know this was going to happen you hear all these interviews with wall street people with no idea it was going to happen and that's their job to to see this coming and all that so i'm i just said i what makes me optimistic i just i like seeing the fight yeah and i think like for people like if you took something very seriously before like, let's say you took, like, racial issues for Asian Americans very seriously. Like, you're always subject to the criticism that you're, like, over-racializing things. Yeah, and you're making shit up. Yeah. Or whatever. And the same thing was going on with progressives saying, like, oh, oh, like, oh, yeah, but that's just because, like, you're these, like, and I, I kind of sometimes feel the same way. But I'm like, oh, it's just these over-educated people that want to whine and bitch about how, 
you know, uh, the, the, you know, the world is not soft enough for you, basically. Like, there's easy ways to, like, sort of marginalize what they were saying. That, like, that was always going to be the case so long as things were going along normally. And I don't think that those types of people and those types of things that are being said are taken seriously until we hit crisis. And then people take, you know, some of that stuff pretty seriously. Yeah. So I think that's there's an advantage because like, you know, a lot of a lot of people who are bit, like, you know, pushing back on stuff, you can't be taken seriously. Like for Asians who like feel like, oh, there's not, you know, people are are over racializing or making too big a deal out of racial issues in this country. It's like that's hard to that's hard to say now. Yeah. You know, it's 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 harder to to be that kind of Asian anymore, uh, which was a general pattern that we have. Uh, Chris, you and I have noticed ever since Trump was elected, yeah. you know, this sort of like this is like the culmination of that. Yeah, in my opinion. That, that's the thing about Trump, pre- the Trump presidency. It was like we almost made it to the end of his presidency without something. We even survived the Soleimani thing with really nothing. Iran didn't do anything. They just like bombed, yeah, uh, mi- uh, shot yeah. missiles at some empty thing. And I, I was like, and, and of course, a lot of people have suffered under Trump. But, it, you know, we were like, OK, no major war. No, like huge economic. We almost made it. We almost made it. Then this happens, <laughs> right at the home stretch. Yeah, man, it does feel like there is a certain amount of fate built in, built into it, or destiny built into uh, events. Um, I have to say, it's a little weird. Yeah, it's and, and weird hey, destiny. hey, we're in the prime of our lives, uh, ready to take a hold of it. So I think that's a reason to be optimistic. At least we're not like too young or too old to do anything. That would really suck. Yeah, I was just thinking about how in the 90s, like, it was all about how, like, uh, people were bored and they were bored of their stability and, you know, like, the <laughs> Matrix and Office Space and Fight Club and shit. It was all like, oh, you know, um, real life is so boring. I'm not, I don't have a chance to fight against anything real. I just got to show up and make copies all day. And then, you know, fast forward to now and the world is, that. well, that ain't the problem anymore, is it? Yeah. You know? um, all right. Yeah. <laughs> I think a good good way to sign off this pod. Yeah. Hopefully everyone feels better. I doubt that's the case, but. <laughs> I, I think we said plenty of stuff to at least energize people. I don't know if it'll make them happy, but at least I think it'll, it'll energize. Yeah. Um, yeah. With that said, yeah, we'll end it here. I've got to, I should go out and get my daily, uh, I gotta, I, I walk myself now, like I'm my own dog. So I gotta go outside <laughs> yeah. and get a little bit of yeah. fresh air, even though it's raining and shitty and whatever. I've been doing, you know, home exercise. I realize how hard burpees are. I, I haven't done them in a while. Oh, they're insane. They're, yeah, they're hard, man. What's a, you know, like, What's a burpee? Oh, really? Uh, apparently they're, they're pretty good for like cardio, even though you don't run. Oh, yeah. um, it, you got to jump. Then you crouch down and then you shoot your legs out like you're doing a push-up. Then you do a push-up, tuck your legs back in and jump up again. Wait, um, does this require equipment or? No, no, no. That's why that's why a lot of people are doing it now because besides oh. like push-ups, pull-ups, uh, you know, planks is probably one of the best exercises to do when you have no equipment. But it's man, it, it's tough. It's you know, brutal. at the end, it's like your legs, you can't even jump like a, a quarter of a foot. You're just like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Um. I I haven't really I have not been exercising during this quarantine. I work from home, so I just like roll out of bed at 9 a.m. Don't even <laughs> change out of my pajamas. <laughs> Start working, uh, and then 
yeah, like stay up late. And I mean, it's, it's good. I love it. This is, this is like the perfect, like, it's like the perfect excuse to like not leave my apartment and just be lazy all the time. Yeah. But it's socially acceptable now. See, that's how you know the world's fucked up and why it needs change. Because if we all just like chilled out, like if everyone just chills out and takes like two weeks to, you know, stay at home, read some books, watch some Netflix, uh, record some pods or whatever the fuck people do. Uh, apparently the whole world falls apart. <laughs> so it's like, I don't think it's structured right. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. So, oh shit, it's anyway. raining a lot. Uh, I want to walk outside. It looks, it looks like. I don't have a choice. I, I, I'll okay. go crazy if I don't go outside. So, all right. Well, we're rainbows. Anyway, then. yeah, we'll call it there. But it was great talking about you. Yeah, yeah, great to have you back, uh, Amanda. Hey, come back yeah. anytime if you, if you need like communication, <laughs> human. <laughs> yeah, I'll just like we'll just record an episode whenever we feel like. Yeah, Zen, Zencaster's free. Te- like we, we, Zencaster's we get free. text we from, from like at, we get these texts from Amanda at like two a.m. or whatever. She's like. Fucking check this out. <laughs> it's like some awful tweet where you know you're like, "Yep, she's 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 looking at tweets." <laughs> so All keep right. them coming. Yeah, I love those tweets. All right. All right. Um, okay. Have a good night, everyone.